Everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. crowd are baying for blood. They want a show, and if you want to fight in front of Emperor Caesar in Rome, you better give them one and be the best gladiator standing in the arena. Sweat runs into your eyes, your swords feel heavy in your hands, and the taste of blood is in your mouth. Lucius Felix is advancing towards you, sword and shield in hand. This isn't a dramatic reading. This is uh, it's from her blog because it is from a preview piece that was written about Gladiatores. Now, Gladiatores, or the full title, Gladiatores Blood for Roses, recently featured on our blog. It was written by a writer for the blog, Steve. And the reason that I'm reading it out is because from Bad Cat Games, I've got Justin, who is back mr justin morgan davis hello sir how are you <laughs> hi richard fine how you doing <laughs> i'm okay uh you see a bit i was expecting a little bit more energy a bit more honest, energy but you what, know, from you or from me you can't, you can't have from you <laughs> but you from me. i guess you can't have i was expecting i was expecting a little bit more energy from somebody who is you know like the Emperor, you're in your fully funded and armed kind of battle station at the moment because um, Gladiatores is, it's it's there, it's going to be a thing, it's kind of fully funded and kind of then some. So, um, yes, first absolutely. of all, congratulations on that. Oh, thanks very much, yes. Uh, and I guess that's probably why I'm knackered now, in fact. <laughs> <laughs> how's, how's mood in camp at the moment? It's uh, it's good, yeah. No, it's very exciting. So um, we've got the sort of uh, adrenaline rush of stuff going. Um, we're knocking down stretch goals by the day. Um, so that's super exciting. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, having just come back from the, the Games Expo, of course, for four days, plus six and a yeah. bit hours drive each way, we're absolutely knackered as well. So, uh, yeah, perhaps okay. uh, that's why I'm not as, as um, super excited uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling the I energy be. in the room. Mm. I'm feeling the tiredness in the room. We should have maybe um you should have maybe just curled the duvet around you and said, Can we not can we not do this another time? Um oh, like no. No, no, no. throw my hat, throw my towel into the ring and it's all good. But it is good because I remember because I know that um um last year when Gladiatoris first came to Kickstarter, um you you ended up kinda cancelling the the campaign because of, I think it was a couple of factors. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of competition. Yeah, I think about yeah, it at there that was. time as well. Yeah, there was. There was. Um, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on. That was uh, beginning of October. A um, lot of stuff going mm-hmm. on in Kickstarter as well. Um, a lot of really great projects that were out and sort of already running before we got there. And you never, yeah. you can never tell whether. Um, backers who are looking on the uh, the latest sort of discovery list, um, you know, whether they're going to be interested in going for something like Gladiatories, which is something completely different, for example, from some fantasy miniatures game, perhaps, um, just picking that one out of, from a hat. But, um, you know, everybody's got a limited amount of, of funds and, and money and enthusiasm to support things on Kickstarter. So there will always be that kind of thing. And it will never get easier because, of course, there's more projects coming out every year on Kickstarter. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was perhaps bad timing, but that's really hard because you have to you have to launch at some point. You have to make your uh, game plan and, yeah. and set up your, your sort of calendar for how it's going to work. And then you just run with it and hope that uh, things work out, really. But the other main reason was actually um, 
because um, speaking to, you know, it's one of these odd things about Kickstarter is as soon as you launch, you start getting all these emails firing in from different organizations, companies, and various people that want to help out. Yeah. But we actually yeah. got a load of, um, of requests from manufacturers saying, you know, we'd love to quote you for the project. And, you know, that this, this happens all the time. But um, some of them yeah. I had actually heard of but not approached. And uh, so I, I thought, well, you know, there's nothing to lose. It's always good to to um, widen the the list of different suppliers that you can use and um, started talking to some of those. Yeah. And um, what they were basically saying, because some of them are, are more sort of focused on the printing side. So paper printing, cardboard boxes, punch boards, that sort of stuff. Um, the the quotes that were coming in were very reasonable. And then we were looking at ourselves thinking, well, we're asking for 13,000 here for the first uh, Kickstarter. Yeah. And we actually don't need that much anymore, you know, to actually fund and to actually produce the yeah. thing. Um, we don't need that much. So, um, so that mix that in together with the sort of multiple different reasons and not a very strong launch as well. Um, it wasn't really picked up that much on Facebook to start with as well, which was a shame. Um, so, you know, it, it would just made more sense to pull the plug, um, on that one and then sort of reassess and then launch again. And here we are. What do you think the What do you think the reasons were behind it? Because I, I don't think I've heard of anybody who kind of hasn't, once they've got the game and sat down and played the game, who hasn't got it and hasn't thought, well, actually, this, this kind of works, you know, pretty well for what it, what it kind of was. Was do you think there was maybe a difficulty in kind of getting the message across on the game? I mean, did you go out um, to? The kind of the backers yeah, I and think, non-backers and even the guys that dropped pledges to find out what the reasons were for, for them not kind of continuing or? No, we didn't really chase. No, we didn't have many uh, many dropouts or anything from backers. Um, we just didn't have mm -hmm. that many backers really in the first sort of 48 hours, 72 hours really uh, that sort of yeah. jumped on it. Um, and that very often is to do with just what other projects, what other shiny shiny visual projects are being presented on that uh, front of Kickstarter page. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't, if you don't have something nice and shiny that catches their attention sort of above and beyond those ones that are already there within the first 48 hours, really, then you really do struggle to get that initial hump. Um, and I think just that's, that's the way of things nowadays, you know, Kickstarter is going to get tougher and tougher for that. And, um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. unless you have, unless you're a company that have a really strong following beforehand, you know, I mean, we have a following on newsletter, but I wouldn't say it's really strong. Uh, we have a good following on the various Facebook groups that we run as well, Facebook pages that we run. But again, I wouldn't say it's like immensely yeah. strong. Um, and so you just never know with that crowd whether they're actually listening and watching out for the new posts coming out and the sort of you know the imminent we're going to launch messages and that kind of stuff you just don't know because you're not going to spam message everybody and say are you watching are you paying attention you there wake up and it's um so yeah, you yeah, just never yeah. know until you hit that button how many of those uh people are are ready ready with their finger on the button to to come in and support so and i think that's just going to carry on being harder I remember at the mm. time as well, um, there was also another gladiator type game that was more kind of cartoony, lots of blood and kind of guts kind of everywhere. Yeah, and that I was kind of wondered Maximus, if that yeah. maybe Yeah. I wondered if that maybe cannibalized a bit of the the kind of the potential market because um Gladiatores is very much a more kind of realistic um looking game you know and staring at it compared to kind of Gorius Maximus which seemed to be kind of very almost kind of like quite kind of cartoony in terms of its kind of its um yeah in terms of there was definitely kind of a style yeah stylistically it was very different and um Gorius Maximus mm -hmm. was um essentially a trick-taking game with the, the Gladiators theme yeah. on it and it worked really well like that um and we were much more mm -hmm. sort of we're a, a card um Gladiatories is a card combat game, so so instantly, you know, mm -hmm. it has a very different feel to it and how the two games play. Um, 
and uh, and yeah, very different, more sort of realistic view of of uh, the style, the sort of stylistic art that we use. So, but Gorus Maximus was um, I can't remember how many months it came out before, but it must have been five, six, possibly seven months before. But you know, if they're both card mm. games, one's been successful, the other one comes out. Maybe you know, maybe there is a crowd of people, especially on Facebook, that go, "Oh, well, it's another Gladiator card game," and don't look any further than that. You know, I think it's very hard actually to put out a yeah. product now that no, actually admit, stands yeah. on its own merits, and and uh, people actually sort of give it a second glance nowadays because there's just so many coming out. Yeah, well, I remember there was the same thing with Dinosaur Island and Dinogenics, um, and I right, remember yeah. people kind of ragging on Dinogen Dinogenics in in terms, in some ways they were quite cruel <laughs> about you know the way that they were speaking about kind of like Dinogenic because they were. You know, there wasn't a case of, oh, you're just, you know, you're just riffing on somebody else's game. And it's like, well, that's physically impossible because even if two people release two two games of exactly the same theme at exactly the same time, one of them could have been in development for two years. One of them could have been in development for 18 months. It's just the yeah. it's just when they decide to kind of press the button and, and kind of launch it. And if it's in, if it's in, if people are conscious about it, especially in, it would have been. I think it would have been maybe different if Gladiatores had been, you know, the lo the lone gladiator kind of um, dealing with the myths and legends of the Roman Empire. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's a kind of case where you've got 15, 15 million other kind of fantasy games. I reckon that when it's kind of like a unique theme, which is you you have, then people go back and go. Uh, they forget there's been another fifteen hundred fantasy games. <laughs> Yeah. Kind of out there that year, yeah. And they look back to the oh, but there's been one this year, which means we, you know, can you know, which is kind of people kind of kind of focus on that thing. Um, do you think that going to the expo this weekend? Do you think it kind of boosted the numbers? And are you was a part of you at all that's kind of looked back and went maybe we should have done kind of more face-to-face -face kind of stuff or maybe we should try and you know hit the expo um you know last year oh i see um yeah i think well definitely uh, a con is is an extremely good way um to obviously generate more sort of interest especially on social media as well um mm. and it just so happened that it wasn't the right time um for us to launch then otherwise we would have done i think you know um games mm -hmm. expo in the uk you know is easily big yeah. enough that you get an excellent footfall i mean we were busy pretty much all weekend all three days um busy running demos on yeah. two tables back to back um i'm actually getting loads of messages coming in just today of people including steve saying um that they sort of stopped by multiple times just to sort of say hi and how is it going and they saw that we were so busy that i just i didn't even notice they were there sort of hanging around um <laughs> so yeah. you know it was full on so uh, i think uh, an expo is always a good time but it's interesting we have discussed it with some of the other indie publishers as well whether it's better to launch just before an expo or a con rather uh, or launch just after yeah you know you sort of get the initial buzz at the show or maybe launch during it of course but then that's an absolute nightmare in terms of logistics and as it was you know um we were heading back north just trying to hold on to a signal long enough uh, on phones that we could actually um respond to backers comments and stuff um let alone updating stretch goals and the like so i've actually been um working on all of the graphics for the stretch goals just today to catch up with where we were over the mm -hmm. weekend because mm -hmm. they're being knocked down like crazy. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we just, uh, triggered another one this evening. So I literally sent out the sort of updated the Kickstarter page. Um, so beginning of the afternoon and already late afternoon, early evening, I had to go and do it again because we'd gone through another stretch goal. Um, so <laughs> in, a, yeah, in answer to your question, um, I definitely think, uh, having a Kickstarter running, especially in the early days of a Kickstarter, having it running at a major con is a really good thing because it was just fantastic yeah. to have loads of people come up and you sort of, you know, a smiley face and you say, hi, hey, how's it going? Um, you know, do you know anything about the game? Would you like to give it a try and say, I'm Backer22? And you go, fantastic. It's lovely yes. to meet you, you know? And, you know, they're pre yeah. pleased to, to see a face behind the game and we're 
equally equally pleased to see a face behind behind the the money in effect behind the backer you know that's there and keen and supportive and and you know they all sat down and wanted to play and and had a great time as well so that's just fantastic and it's kind of so when you're running a kickstarter but you don't have that sort of face-to-face interaction it's kind of odd you you miss out on that miss out on that that direct connection with the backers you know it's not just sort of names on a list that just keeps pinging away um they are real people and uh they are enthusiastic that's why they're there so you to get the chance to actually speak to them and uh offer them promos and stuff and and you know talk about the game and what they wanted to to know about and what they hoped would happen in the future with stretch goals and do you have plans to include animals in the game like in the gladiator film if you remember you know they had i think it was a oh, yeah. lion and you know they were on chains and that kind of stuff really angry penguin as well <laughs> yeah well that's crazy and you know that was into i don't remember yeah. <laughs> that's just in your head richard um okay uh but they did uh, in digging around um because that's what we wanted to make uh gladiators different from other gladiator games that are out there um is actually look into the history of gladiators and there's so little that actually came through and yet these people the ones that we have in the game at least are our media superstars they were the equivalent of pop stars and people would travel for weeks to go and see you know um these presentations these shows these kind of choreographed exhibitions of gladiatorial combat in these arenas all around europe but some of them, um, you know, the, the, the sort of information that does get recorded is kind of, I guess, the extremes. It was the sensationalist stuff that was written in the um, the various journals, yeah. the writers of the time, like Suetonius and, um, oh, what's the, what's the other guy's name? I don't know. Um, but, you know, they would describe things like, uh, oh, such an uh, Emperor Nero put on this show um, and 10,000 animals were slaughtered in one afternoon you know, and uh, yeah. quite shocking. Um, so we certainly don't want to glorify that. But some of the stories, you know, I can't remember which emperor it was, but he liked to show off that he was a um, he was a good archer. So he imported God knows how many ostriches and let them loose in the arena and then proceeded just to mm-hmm. shoot them with these, um, I think they're called crotch head arrows, you know, the wide bladed arrows that sort of have a yeah. fork at the end. And he'd just shoot the heads off all afternoon. And uh, yeah, great. <laughs> Exciting for him, perhaps, but maybe not so much for the crowd. But uh, yeah, so this kind of stuff you dig around and you find out about is, is quite shocking, but it, it's it's real. It really happens. So that's kind of some of the thing that we want to actually get into the game and set us apart from other Gladiator games is, is that sort of historical um, evidence, that historical twist to the story, to, to what you're doing. What about the Am? I mean, one of the things you're talking about at the moment is the Amazon kind of stretch goal. Mm. So, was that? I mean, was that was that a real thing? I mean, were there kind of female gladiators at the time? Or yeah, they were. Um, it was it was one of these things that evolved. Gladiator um, combats, gladiatorial sort of arena uh, shows did evolve mm-hmm. a lot um, through the different centuries, and. Um, at the start, you know, the, uh, the Romans viewed the idea that women fighting um, in the arena was just ridiculous. You know, they thought it was, it was mm-hmm. ridiculous, but it was sensationalist. So that's why they did it. Uh, and I assume the early mm-hmm. ones would have been slaves um, or, you know, certainly not particularly well trained. You know, they would have had to segregate the women from the, the female gladiators from the males anyway. So, um, but it, yeah, it did become a thing, and the Amazon um, is actually depicted on a bas relief um, from Halicarnassus um, that actually shows, and they're actually right. named underneath. So it actually shows uh, the Amazon, or Amazon as she was known, fighting uh, Achillea, who's the one of the characters we have in the game already, um, our female gladiator. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that was her stage name. Um, she was named after the Greek Achilles, the hero, of course, and. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so that that for me shows that they became female gladiators became a thing, you know, became a thing that people would go and see. And and obviously, the editors of games, those that actually organized and ran the big shows or owned the arenas, yeah, they realized eventually that actually having female gladiators in armor, um, bashing hell out of each other was a fantastic thing, and it would it would draw the crowds. So, in fact, in the game, we have. Um, 
because each of the gladiators in the game actually has a sort of fan base, if you like, that follows them around. So when you hire uh, that gladiator for your next event, they actually bring their fan base with them, which gives you a bonus towards your overall uh, glory score, your overall victory score. Um, and so Achillea has a higher fan base, a larger fan base than some of the other gladiators, because we felt that was something um, you know that that people would definitely go and see female gladiators fighting, and if they created sort of bas reliefs, that was you know the equivalent of of sculptures of the time. So they had to be pretty. Spent. Yeah. So I mean, did you were you surprised with kind of stuff that you learned as you were doing kind of like your research? I mean, you obviously you've mentioned the Amazon, but was there kind of other things? I think you've you've mentioned before that a lot of the gladiatorial combat wasn't actually fatal it wasn't kind of like the kind of the russell crowe thirst for blood there were guys that were kind of like professional gladiators that kind of were really good at hitting each other um but in a way for entertainment as opposed to actually cutting each other's arms and legs off yes yeah absolutely it was it's an odd thing that um digging sort of through the um the current sort of documentation, the current sort of historical evidence for it, uh, it really seems to me that 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 whole sort of show events, the big arena events that would draw huge crowds, were um, they sort of uh, developed in in different directions. You had those that we are sort of showing up and playing in the game, where um, they become stage shows, and uh, you are mm-hmm. you are actually the gladiators that are there. They might get wounded. Um, but they uh, they very rarely die because they were so well trained and they were veterans. And in fact, most of them by that stage were mm. free men or free women, you know, and they fought as a professional yeah. career and putting on a show. So it's like we were laughing because it was like um, uh, at the Games Expo this year, just outside uh, one part of the NEC is Bear Grylls. And he's got this uh, this thing that he set up over there. So it was almost like... Um, you know, it's a good example. These these professionals were were like the sort of bare grills of the gladiator world, um, where they would actually put on a yeah. show for the audience. And um, there was two yeah. two gladiators. One guy called Priscus, and the other one was called Verus. And um, they, I think, if I'm correct from what I remember, they would actually they would almost, I guess, they would train together. They became two professionals that trained together and they would then go around to the various editors of arenas and basically say, we can put on a show where we will choreograph, mm-hmm. show the audience the different styles of gladiator fighting, um, talk about it, um, put on uh, displays and that sort of stuff uh, for the audience. So it was, became a total spectacle rather than just this school versus this school, they're going to bash the hell out of each other until only one standing sort of thing. So Priscus and... It's like, well, it's like wrestling. Yeah, yeah. It's much, it's more, like like, yeah, it's much more like sort of WWF than, uh, than yeah, uh, what we imagine um, gladiator sort of arena combat to be. But that was the problem we see because on the other side, uh, when the emperors and the Caesars got involved and they wanted to put on um, these spectacles, very often it was because they were having political and social trouble at the time. And so a way to sort of rally the people back behind the emperor was to put on these massive lavish shows, which obviously I guess they, they offered them free to the, to the crowds. And those just got out of control because then they just wanted bigger, better, more slaughter. Um, and to the point where they would, yeah. they would literally bring in Christian slaves and apparently tie them to posts and then just let wild animals loose on them. And so it really became not a, a sort of, a spectacle of warfare, if you like, it just became a sort of um, almost like a sort of uh, example, Gore bloody, yeah, bloody retribution sort of spectacle. Um, so they mm. really sort of diverged in the same directions, and I guess that's where, because that's obviously sensationalist and shocking for our sort of modern sensibilities. That's why we have remembered that and look back at it, and that's why we assume nowadays that oh yeah, gladiator fights. You know, they'd go out and bash each other to bits and hack limbs off, and yeah. there'd be dead bodies lying around everywhere. And yeah, that did happen, but there was this other side to it, this kind of professional show, professional exhibition side to it. And interestingly enough. Um, I saw an old friend of mine from university days who came over to the show to see us. And um, he's because he's a, um, a stage fighter, so he actually choreographs um, 
uh, sword fights for films and TV series and the like. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was, yeah, because he's he's dug a bit into the whole gladiatorial background stuff, obviously for um, business purposes. But what he was saying, which surprised me actually, it's something that we never picked up on, not we never found out about that gladiators they actually were able to find out the uh, find um remnants uh, evidence of what they were fed and it was a very high starchy kind of porridge diet um and the reason that they did that is because it was very it had a very high fat content so in fact mm-hmm. gladiators generally we assume were actually quite fat in terms of being bulky individuals. You know, none of the sort of right. you know agile superhero style can leap through the air kind of um, gladiators kind of we associate with modern films and the like. Uh, no, these guys yeah. were actually quite chubby, shall we say, in their armor. And the reason <laughs> for that is because they could take a sword slash to the arm, to the biceps, to the thigh, to the belly, whatever, yeah. and actually they would be able to carry on fighting they would they would be able to absorb that damage much better than somebody who is who is built like a um you know professional wrestler or a um, bodybuilder or something that would take one one sword slice to the biceps and that was it their arm wouldn't work so it's fascinating mm-hmm. you know we're mm-hmm. still learning even now you know um new stuff about the gladiators and it, and it is a fascinating thing so that's what we want to make sure we get across in the sort of immersion side of the um the gladiatorious game is that while you're playing the game you do actually have the opportunity to learn little snippets little bits of information about yeah. how they really were and who they really were and sort of maybe break up some of those myths um that they lived or died by the thumb up or thumb down of the of whoever was uh, presenting the show which i think is a hollywood thing mm-hmm. i don't think that there's no there's no evidence yeah. that ever happened it's kind of nice but <laughs> yeah just not true yeah in terms of um obviously taking a bit of a kicking and going on um has your kind of confidence been restored in you as a as a kind of a designer having kind of like you know obviously there's always the trepidation that once you you know once you've had a a campaign that maybe hasn't gone the way that you've gone Mm. You must occasionally kind of question, go, am I, am I actually cut out for this? Am I, am I seeing something which other people just kind of isn't there? Is it nice for you to be in this situation where you almost feel kind of vindicated for, you know, not only having the game there, but having it kind of funding kind of really, really well now and kind of stretch goals kind of starting to fall? Has that been, is that kind of been, a, I guess, a kind of a, um, a nice feeling to feel that, oh, actually, you know, people want to play this. People want to actually, they've got faith and they want to kind of put their money where their mouth is. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's it's natural to feel vindicated um, and to sort of have that that bolstering of your, your own opinions. Um, but we always knew it was a fun game because, you know, we just had to present it to people we'd never met before and say, play it and tell us what you think. And if they come back saying, yeah, that's mm-hmm. really, really good fun. I mean, a lovely example was just uh, this this weekend on the Saturday, in fact, at the show. And uh, uh, a family came past, you know, they're just wandering past. They paused, had a look, thought, hmm, Gladiator game, that kind of looks exciting. And the kids were all like, yeah, yeah, can we play it? And um, that was that was really nice, you know, that it appeals to all ages as well. And um, so the the family sat down, the kids had a go at it. They all had a blast. They played it. And then it was actually the mum that, that stood up and turned to me and said, oh, I re- didn't think that, that that would actually interest me, but that was so immersive. I really felt like I was actually fighting there with a, a character and I had to defend myself. And it was really, really exciting. And they, they were just absolutely thrilled to play it. And that was brilliant. You know, so for me, as a as a designer that's that's the sort of vindication i think that's the sort of gold standard you know yeah um but yeah definitely yeah. in terms of the actual kickstarter yeah um i think we the sort of general rule of thumb now is that most indie kickstarters you know on a small level will probably unless they're really lucky the first time around will probably have to at least attempt a Kickstarter twice now before they actually fund. Yeah. Um, just because of, I think, the way that Kickstarter works now, everybody's keen to see, and I know I do it myself, you know, if I'm looking through the list of current Kickstarters that are available, I do spot all of those that are funded in the first two days, you know, 
And then that's a kind of subliminal message to you to say, sounds like this is a good project. You know, there's a lot of people that are interested in this, so maybe I should take a look. And so that that initial sort of two or three days is so vital, I think, nowadays that if you don't hit that, which is what happened to us there in October, then it is better yeah. to pull the plug. And in fact, um, oddly enough, we've talked about it uh, within the team as well um, quite a lot recently. And we do feel, I call it the crucible of Kickstarter, and I do feel that in many ways, going through the Kickstarter once, coming out the other end, and then sitting back, reassessing, making some changes, um, that sort of feedback that you get from um, backers first time around and the sort of general result of the Kickstarter is actually really, really useful to shake down what you need to change to make a better product. And I genuinely think we've made a better product this time. Um, I mean, you saw the original prototype. You'll remember, um, you know, a year or so back when we had oh, yeah. generic gladiators and yeah. they were all color coded. And uh, the idea then, you see, because they were generic gladiators, we were kind of introducing the different fighting styles. So that's why they were all different, but they were generic. They didn't have any names or anything. It was just the Retiarius, the Secutor, the Mermio. Um, and the idea yeah. then was we were going to release these star players as stretch goals. But every single person that we spoke to after the Kickstarter said, but why didn't you just put the star players in at the start? Because that's what everybody wants to play. If you're given the, the chance of playing a super famous gladiator that actually existed in Roman times and was a huge superstar and earned something like 20,000 sesterci every time they walked into the arena, why would you not yeah. want to play that character? Why would you go, oh, well, I'll play this like generic no-name? You know, it's like a no-brainer, and we just think, well, why didn't we ever actually think of that? You know, and and that's that's the problem. I think. Well, no, that's a good thing. I think as a creator, as long as you're able to to roll with the blows and and sort of step back for a minute and reassess what you're trying to achieve, rather than like gripping hold of it tightly and saying, no, that's it, that's my thing. I'm not going to yeah, change. Yeah. If you accept change, and if you if you if you feel that that change is actually uh, is a good thing and it comes from outside and it will help you to create a better product then you should embrace it and that's what we've done this time around and and you know whether that's the reason why we're funded so fast i don't know but um definitely every single person that we demoed to just this weekend they said i just love how you've got so much choice in the different gladiators and already after you've played two or three different ones you can feel you can get a feel for how different they play they have their own combat moves their own combat skills they've got their own deck of cards so each one feels different and unique and so then it's exciting much more exciting because you're wanting to try them all out and we have what nine in the yeah. game already let's um, talk so about that's game basically play. nine playable characters yeah sure go on then no, do you want to start cool. Um, You've played it quite a lot, actually. Gameplay. Yeah. I've, yeah, I have played it. I have played it quite a lot. But um, also at the same time, it is your night, Justin. So, but um, <clears throat> the key, the, okay, the key part to me behind Gladiatores is it is a lot of traditional kind of combat games are you add up all the stuff that you've got including your kind of your your pluses and your minuses and your extra equipment and you basically you place your almost like your 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 bid on the table and then it's up to the other person to place down their cat their their hands their advantages and disadvantages down on the table and then you total up the score and generally whoever's got the higher score kind of wins that round the difference with gladiatores is there's it's the reactive combat side of things which makes it kind of interesting is that, you know, um, there's yeah. not just a huge kind of uh, generic kind of let's see who won the fight. Basically, you play out the different steps of the fight by the types of cards that you have. So you have got kind of like um, attack cards. You've kind of like got defense cards. You've almost got like kind of, it's almost like a skill kind of card. But basically, um, an attack card that could be a thrust or a stab. Um, a defense card could be, you know, you've you've got your just your general block. 
You've mm. also got cards like your parry. And what you'll do is you'll play these cards. It's almost like um, not a rock, paper, scissors, but certain. Ah, word. Every card is basically <laughs> says, well, this is the type of the attack. Yeah, and it'll it, also say, well, this is what you can this is what you can do in order to kind of counteract against that attack. And you play everybody plays cards kind of back and forward between the two people who are who are having, you know, a shot at each other uh, until uh, you can't defend against an attack. And then that that gla- that gladiator then gets to take their kind of their their final blow their and team. essentially yeah. kind of cause a cause a wound. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, as much as I hate calling it a rock, paper, scissors system, it is, that's something that people understand, you know, at a very basic level. And it is kind of that in the sense that you've got, as you say, you've got attack cards and then they can be countered by defense Mm -hmm. cards. And then you've got effects cards, but don't, the effects cards don't necessarily counter, sometimes they do. Uh, they can counter an attack or counter yes. a defense as well, but uh, they often have other special effects as well, which you can play as a follow-up. So there's there's nothing nicer than um, than a strike coming your way, you successfully block it or dodge it or whatever, and then the other player doesn't actually have a follow-up that they can play. So you can slap down something like a subdue or a takedown or a disarm even, you know, something that's really sort of gives you that extra bonus edge. It's like playing a bonus card that your other that your opponent wasn't expecting or can't counter or deal with. But uh, and that's really good fun. But yeah, I mean, essentially, it is a a sort of rock paper scissors system, but it's so much more. Yeah, I'd use the word convoluted, but that makes it sound more complex or confusing, and it's not the whole way. Uh, you know, as you know, it's a it's such a simple system. Once you've played a couple of cards, you get it because you've got the name of the combat move at the top, and then all your opponent is looking at is what's written in the orange banners on the left and the right-hand sides of the card, down the sides of the card. And they that card dictates which cards can counter or trump, if you like, can trump that card. And then it, it goes back to the first player, and they can then obviously trump or counter the card that's just been played by the opponent. And so it's that back and forth. So we actually call mm-hmm. it, we now call the system the card dueling system um, because that's what it really feels like. Although you can play two player and it scales exactly the same way up to five players or possibly even six. Um, well, actually, we have played it with six and it does. Um, but uh, you're although you're sort of in a grand melee of different gladiators all in arena together, when it's your turn, you still only attack a single target. Obviously, you don't sort of do a roundhouse stab to everybody you have to pick an individual target yeah it's actually what happens is once the players all get going into it it's like a series of mini card duels between two players and it does feel like you're slapping down cards your opponent slaps down a card then it's back to you can you respond to that can you react to that can you get revenge if you know a player manages to do something to you can you swiftly get in with another card and it's that's sort of for me that's the um, the immersive part of the game, the sort of evocative part of the game, because it really, before you know it, you're slapping down cards in reaction to what your opponent's doing, not simply a sort of set sequence of things that you always expected to do in other games. You know, you just sort of play, play down a card, hoping that your opponent can't do anything to it, and you're going to knock off some hit points. Big deal. That's it. That that's that's it over. Whereas Gladiatories is all about, no, you're going to have to play multiple cards in response to the different multiple cards that your opponent is playing just to stay on top. And what's fascinating to watch is when you get players right into it and they get through nine or 10 cards in one go and they've only got a hand of 14, you know, and they're getting through like five cards Mm. each in this long drawn out sequence of blow and counter blow flurry of moves. And it, it's you can see they're smiling because it's all going on in their head. They're imagining what's actually happened to them. And I think I think it's very hard not to get drawn into that and not to sort of imagine yourself, you know, okay, he struck at me, that's easy, I can parry that out of the way, but oh no, it was a feint. Damn, what do I do? Um quick, try and disarm him. No, he's grabbed me by the arm. Right, well, I'm gonna punch him in the face then. But oh no, yeah. dodged out of the way, and then oh, we're back to a feint again, and it was a sly move, and like, oh no, what do I do now? And you'd get so drawn into it that you're just unaware of the other players that are all sort of circling around watching your every move. 
because as i said the the cards that you start off with um that hand of cards that deck of cards and you have access to all of them of course it's not just simply a you've got a deck of cards and you draw three and you play with those three no you have access to all of your combat skills and that is your entire deck of cards for the entire fight that's your yes. of endurance or your energy or your ability to survive and this again is is very thematic because when we dug around in the history there was a lot of references of what i suppose what surprised us was there were references to how fights would um literally last only about four minutes or so because the sort of younger gladiators would come out or the less experienced the less um the least in endurance no how do you say that the um the the lesser types of gladiators that would come out they would be there for this kind of sideshow and they would literally go up against each other bish yes. bash bosh and four minutes later one of them's utterly exhausted dripping with sweat and would collapse on the ground and that would be the end of the fight for them whereas as yeah. i said earlier you know you've got the veterans who can go on carefully playing counter blows counter strikes for hours on end because they're conserving their energy so the game is as much to do with that hand management of how much energy you're prepared to expend to get ahead to get on top of the other um you know to to put down the other gladiators than it is about literally drawing blood and taking them out of the fight and that for me is is a different game that is the sort of game that intrigues me as a as a player as a gamer not just as a creator something where you've really here you you do have a sequence of combat skills combat moves but actually you don't always want to play them all you actually want to hold them back and the bluffing element of the game is really fun because you know you can have a player that might well have a couple of blocks in their hand but they know that they're up against the retiarius calendio and his special ability yeah. is that when somebody tries to block him with a shield he lobs his net over the top of that gladiator and unless they can dodge out of the way by playing a dodge card uh, they're going to get tangled up and they're going to lose two of their precious cards two out of their 14 cards so we saw that a lot actually at the at the con um the the Calendio player was really good at that, you know, holding out, not trying to get drawn into many combats, or if they did, you know, just try and get out of the combat as fast as possible without losing too many cards. And they were just watching for those players that just were forced to have to play a block. And then in he'd go with the net and just take them down. And that was just fascinating to watch because mm -hmm. that sort of, you were talking about vindication. That's the vindication for me that we've created a game that actually does thematically create a rich combat experience if you like you know do you know what i mean so you were yeah so you're in fact kind of gaining favor from the crowd as people were gaining favor from the crowd in the game <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i guess yeah absolutely yeah because of course we haven't talked about that that the sort of whole reason of well, why are you fighting these combats and again i think you know it's it's nice that you're that in gladiatoris you're playing a gladiator school and rather than use your own generic gladiators you're actually having to hire uh, these famous gladiators to fight for your school for the benefit of the fame and fortune and the victory points that you gain at the end of the complete game but at every event that you're going to take part in you need to hire a new gladiator so you want to gain as much fame and glory from the crowd as possible by showing off so you know who better to show off to the crowd than these veteran gladiators that are superstars and you know people will travel for miles to go and see them so that that sort of again the theme just sort of fed into the mechanisms you know and, and i suppose that's somebody was saying to me yesterday well you know if you could describe the sort of games that you want bad cat games to be well known for what would they be and mm -hmm. And it's a tricky one because I, we don't like to be tied down to a particular style of game. You know, we only, we only do fantasy Euros or we do sci-fi epics or whatever, you know. Um, but I suppose the one thing is for me, the theme and the realism wants to be as strong as possible. And that in itself drives the mechanisms that you find in the game. And then what should happen yeah. is those mechanisms then suggests ways that the theme can be reinforced. So it's like a um, a circle. 
the theme drives the mechanisms the mechanisms fit back and drive the theme and and uh i think judging by the the sort of audience and how they liked it i would say that we've done it okay with gladiators has this um has it driven you on to kind of look back at the other designs you were considering then i mean is this you know with the with the kickstarter funded you know going really really well are you now going back through kind of like the uh the justin playbook to see what else you can maybe bring to the table in terms of your designs oh yeah absolutely it's a it's a huge learning curve and uh, that's a fascinating thing as well you know because uh looking back to some of the designs that we've been working on or i've been working on for eight eight nine ten years and uh you sort of dig up the old sheet of paper and um, prototype and you think this is not a mess. Um, and there is so much that you do learn and you do evolve as a creator, um, I think. I mean, you know, for me, it's it's in a sense, it's early days because there's only, um, Gladiatories is only our second game that's come out. But um, but I think it doesn't, it doesn't slow, it doesn't um, sort of prevent you from wanting to, continue creating those games but what it does allow you to do is look at them with fresh eyes with more experienced eyes and say okay well you know that works yes. differently and it's i suppose also as well uh you probably learn to read the audience as well you learn to read the public um the the gamers perceptions of a game um and how they understand what you're trying to do so that's for me where yeah. the theme is so important because you can basically say if you if I, I could go to them and say uh right here's a game it's a combat card game about gladiators and you play cards against each other and you try to win and score victory points and they go okay i understand what what you're supposed to do but that doesn't explain how they're going to play the yeah. game at all whereas if i say you're playing a gladiator school and you need to hire the most famous gladiators, which are then going to fight for you. And they have their own fans, and you have your own fans. But you want to maximize the amount of entertainment that you that you give to the audience that will score you the most victory points and win you the game. They kind of like, ah, okay, right, I see. You know, and and I think because you're relating it to something in the real world rather than sort of explaining a set of mechanisms to them. Um, that I think you're going to have more people that understands what you're trying to achieve with the game than you would if you just simply threw some mechanisms said, oh, it's like this, and it works like that. So, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so that, well, that's all I think, anyway. But um, definitely uh, it's good because it means that every year I'm evolving as a, as a designer and I'm looking at uh, the games that we're in the process of designing. I mean, we've got five on the table at the moment that we're all sort of designing in parallel, really, just because um, it, it was one of these things. It's uh, an interesting thing. A good example is um, Tang Garden. Uh, do you remember Tang Garden came out last year on Kickstarter? It's not fulfilled yet, but it came out. Uh, yeah. Lovely looking game. Um, we definitely want to give that a play. And then the recent one that uh, Edo has brought out is um, 100 Tory Tories or 100 Tory Gates or something it's called like that. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Different looking game, but a similar theme, but that, and they're only a year apart from each other, but they they both have a theme that people instantly connect with and pick up, you know, a wander through a lovely Japanese garden and you go through these Tory gates and Tang Garden was all about, I think, um, developing a garden that would impress um, certain dignitaries. And yeah. so you've got yeah. a theme there that people connect to. You don't need to explain the, um, the mechanisms of the game so much. So that comes after what you've got to attract them first is what the theme of the game is, is about. What's the game about? What are you going to do when you're playing it? And so does it get yeah, right? Yeah, it's like um it's like that Papillion, the butterfly uh -huh. game. Yeah. And instantly people people are looking at that and going, It's butterflies. Um there's there's a garden, there's some three D stuff. I'm right in even before they kinda know the know the gameplay because the theme is the theme is so kind of um is very, very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of really uh, good one as well. Which is very, very appealing. Yeah. A really good one as well that um, that 
I really like the look of. Um, but now I'm stuck between the two, really, because uh, friends of mine picked up uh, photosynthesis at uh, at the con. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. They were playing yeah. it in the evening. Um, I turned up too late, so I missed it. But I'd really like to give it a try. But when you look at that and you think, all oh, right, your tree's in a forest. And you're obviously, the trees are growing. And that's going to have some kind of effect. And, oh, I see the sun is circling around the board. That's pretty cool. And instantly, you kind of get, a, you kind of know what you should be doing in the game to a certain extent. And so this new one, Bosk, yes. which is, uh, I think, about leaves falling in a forest. And uh, so that really intrigues me as well. But again, you know, it, it's a theme you kind of pick up really fast and you go, all right, I can get that. I can grok that, as somebody said to me. Um, you know, I can grok that. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, okay, fine. Um, but, you know, and, and that intrigues. Games like that intrigue. So I think the trick... Certainly nowadays, when there's like uh, what a thousand new games coming out every year, um, you know, it, you've got to be as a creator, you've got to be really careful to find something that intrigues people from the absolute get-go, from the absolute moment that they see one image of the game. They go, "Oh, that's interesting!" Like as you said, you know, um, the butterflies game or Fog of Love or something. Yeah, you know, it jumps out at you because it's unique, yeah. it's different. It's like, what's that all about? And uh, all the mechanisms just come afterwards. If people are intrigued, if they've been listening along, mm-hmm. um, pledge levels, if you want to get involved in Gladiatoris, how much is it going to cost for you to get involved in Gladiatoris? Not you, because you're the designer. Uh-huh. But if people want to back the game, how much is it going to be? Yeah, so the basic pledge level is £35, which is, what, 40, is about $43 or something at the moment. Um, yes. And that's that's the basic game with all the stretch goals and everything um, thrown in as well. We've already, because we unlocked in the first four, within the first four days, we actually, un, um, we funded in the first two days. But um, I wanted to always include the, uh, special sort of Kickstarter exclusive gladiator because I've been carting him around as the game mascot for about four years now. He was the first gladiator that we got drawn by our lovely designer, lovely artist, Anya. And um, mm-hmm. so really wanted to have him in the game, uh, the unknown gladiator. So he's been unlocked as well. So you actually get nine gladiators in the basic game and all pledge levels get him. And uh, so it's £35 for the basic level. Then there's a £50 level, which is, what, $65, I think. Um, And that is the sort of deluxe set that has the play mat, the neoprene mat, which everybody that sees it absolutely loves it. They just wanted to take it home um, when they saw it at the show. And you also get uh, the active player miniature, which is a a really lovely uh, sort of 3D, um, well, yeah, miniature, uh, about 70 millimeters tall. And uh, that's actually, he does actually have a purpose. He's just not bling um, because the fact you've got these multiple combat duels going on, it's actually quite hard sometimes to track. Now, whose turn was it? Because you attack me, but now I'm counterattacking. So whose turn was it originally? So having a physical model that you can actually say, right, that's my go finished. I'm passing this to you. I'm passing the active player token to you. Now it's your turn. It just really, really helps. And it looks great when it's on the table as well, all painted up. So that's the 50 quid pledge level. Then apart from that, we've got the big senator pledge level, which is a kind of all-in pledge right at the top. Um, and the good thing about that, that's 175. But the good thing with that is that the further we go and the more stretch goals we unlock, some of the things would be add-ons, but the Senator pledge level is basically going to get those things added in anyway for free, if you like, within the pledge level. Is there, is there a pledge level where they get to fight you? To fight me? What, for real? <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, kind of like a gladiatorial kind of combat. We like plastic swords or something. All right, uh, that's an interesting idea. Are you doing that as a, <laughs> are you doing that as a pledge level? We might be able to arrange something, Richard. Yeah, you know, I can see you're itching. <laughs> but no, interestingly, totally. we did we did think of could we possibly do a pledge level? This was way back. Could we possibly do a pledge level? Um, the where we could actually. Uh, meet somebody it would have to be, unfortunately be somebody in europe but um we would actually meet that backer uh in an arena you know in an old arena um somewhere in europe you know one of the cities and actually do something like that you know having a a bit just of kill fun them. <laughs> <laughs> just have a bit of fun just uh 
um, with with plastic swords, yeah. But we thought like, no, let's just, not kill that's them. That's a nightmare. Not kill them. But no, not, that wasn't on the cards. No, not, kill them. not a good plan. Not at all. But yeah, okay. that'd just be too crazy. <laughs> um, we'll make sure that we put the link to the Kickstarter in the show notes. Yeah. But if people want to keep an eye on where you exist on the internet web nets. Where do you exist on the interweb nets? We can be found pretty much everywhere. Badcatgames.co.uk or eu.eu, badcatgames.eu, we're there. Um, we are on Facebook. Just just look for Bad Cat Games anywhere, basically. Twitter, Instagram, we've got lots of stuff on there. And um, we've got a couple of... Um, uh, sort of giveaway prize draws running at the moment on Facebook. So if people are on Facebook and they want to check that out, then they just need to go into the Facebook gaming groups or find us um, on uh, slightly, you know, Facebook slash Bad Cat Games and uh, join in with that as well. Awesome. Do you have anything else? Excellent. Unless there's new. Fantasticus web- Maximus. Yes. Maximus Des. Nah, I don't think that is. I don't think. I think. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, there you go, Kenneth. There's that whole speech that he does, but I'm not going to do it because I can't do his voice and no, it's so stupid. Um, if you <laughs> it's you know, I mean, it's kind of like father to a murdered meeple, you know, what I mean, husband to a murdered kind of thing, you know, yeah, I shall have my vengeance. That's the one, yeah. Um, I, I end up sounding more like Oliver Reed, though. Um, or is that his name? Doesn't matter. Uh, and you shall die to the sound of them clapping. <laughs> anyway, if you want to keep an eye, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, you fannies, um, go to the internet. Go to the internet webs. Uh, search for Google. Uh, search for Google. You find Google. Go go on Google. Search for We're Not Wizards, and you'll find us on Twitter. Don't laugh. I know I messed up, but it doesn't matter. I think I'm going to get away with it, and as long as I don't go, keep on going on about it. That's fine. And you can find us on Facebook, and you can find us on um, Instagram, and you can find us on our website, which is wearenotwizards.com, and you can find us on our blog, which is wearenotwizards.blogspot.com, where the lovely, fantastic, wonderful Mr. Stephen McGilvery has written up what he thinks hmm. about Gladiator is. Yes. So there you go, because I know Justin quite well, so I couldn't really write anything out about that. Because otherwise that would be collusion, I think. Yes. Yes. Anyway, and we get stabbed. Um, you can also, um, if you want to support us a little bit, there's a couple of things you can do. You know, go to your podcast catcher of choice. They've either got the words pod or they've got the words cast in it. And maybe leave us a kind of a little rating or a review. If you like us an awful lot, tell somebody else about us. Yeah. You scamp. Do it. Do it now. Even if you don't like them. Do it now. <laughs> stop, stop this recording. Turn around on the bus. Surprise somebody. And go, you are the big wizards? And, you know, do that. Um, and then make sure you were just about to get off your stop, because otherwise you'll have to sit there oh, being you, the person that shouted on the bus. Yeah. And you don't want to do no, that. No, you've got to go all the or way the around the circle. Thing you <laughs> the, the five circle yeah and then you will end up in gladiatorial combat um the other thing you can do is you can go to apple podcasts and you can drop us a subscription you can drop us a rating or you can drop us a review if you are going to be dropping us a rating or a review then don't give us 10 stars um because that makes us big-headed you know we'll think we're caesar but don't give us one star because we'll end up like a scrub with a wooden sword, which means we might be rubbish. It means apparently we're free. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it does make us cry. Give us something in the middle, like five stars. Yeah, that sounds good. Because it's average. Hmm. And we're just, we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average is rather <laughs> rather wonderful, rather fantastic. Um, you know, if he, was in, if he was ahead of my guard, he'd be like a Praetorian kind of guy, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> big shields and stuff like totally brilliant at combat up to saving people's lives but you know keeping the peace at the same time but having a good heart it's the <laughs> wonderful fantastic mr justin morgan davies thank you very much for coming on justin yay yay i oh, love Thumbs you too up. richard except that, except that. Except that doesn't happen um <laughs> the other thing you can do is um we still and i'm going to do a shameless plug 
uh, we have another podcast out there. It's called Make Something Awful. Um, you can find it on makesomethingawful.fireside.fm. You can also find it on iTunes as well. Basically, it's off the back of that disgusting tweet. But if you're a creator, if you're somebody, whether you're involved in table tabletop or not, and you fancy having a chat about being a creative type person and potentially whether or not your first thing was any good or any bad, then get in contact or have a listen. The first um, first episode is out there for your perusal. It might be awful. It might not be. Um, there's only two more things to do, though. First thing is to remember we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Justin? Definitely not. Fantastic. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Justin. Say goodbye, Justin. Bye, Justin. Fantastic. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Make something awful. Good stuff. Bye, folks. Until the next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hail Caesar. Or whatever that is. Bye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Mm-hmm.